Welcome to the Inclusive Education Project. I'm Vicki Brett. I'm Amanda Salohi. We're two civil rights lawyers on a mission to change the conversation about education, civil rights, and modern activism. Each week, we're going to explore new topics which are going to educate and empower others and give them a platform to enact change in education and level the playing field. Welcome to the pod. Thank you so much for having me. So you have quite a diverse background in how you got to where you are now. So we'd love to have you kind of give our listeners a little bit about your background, how you got where you are now, and, and what your current like, roles are. Sure, absolutely. I am in my 10th year of working in education. That includes my 10th year working in alternative public education. I started out as a classified employee. I was a business to community liaison. I brought businesses and community partners into the schools to give the students more opportunities. I held that role um, initially as an AmeriCorps volunteer. And then another district hired me on permanently to do a similar role in their school. While there, I worked my way up. I became a teacher where I was teaching English arts um, as well as social studies. And I eventually added family and consumer sciences, which a lot of people know as the home ec classes. A couple years later, I became the school counselor, and that's my current role. So I'm the school counselor for an alternative high school. It's my ninth year in this building. I am also have spent time as department head on the school leadership committee, So I play a variety of roles within my own building. And I also work as a teacher on special assignment for my school district, where I coordinate all the professional development for counselors in the district. Yeah, what got you interested in the area of education? I come from a family in education. My mother was a teacher. I had a brother who dabbled with it for a little while, and brother who spent quite a bit of time in it. My younger sister has a PhD in the field. So our whole family has spent quite a bit of time in education in one way or another. I always knew I wanted to work in education, and for the longest time I thought teaching was where I wanted to be. But I found that I really enjoyed the counseling side much more than the teaching. I do miss teaching a little bit. I think counseling is where I'm meant to be right now. I grew up attending private education. My mom was a private school teacher, so I really wasn't familiar with public education at all until I had the opportunity applied for a job working at an alternative school up here in Oregon. And I kind of went into it blindly, not really knowing what I was getting myself into. And I fell in love and I can't imagine myself leaving alternative education. Can you talk a little bit about what alternative education is? I'm sure a lot of our listeners are like, what does that mean? Absolutely. So alternative education is kind of an umbrella term to describe any education outside of your traditional comprehensive school setting. So it can look a variety of different ways. Oftentimes it's your trade schools, it can be your expulsion behavior programs, it could be credit recovery. Some programs you apply for it and it kind of teaches you special skills or more college prep oriented. Other times you kind of don't have the choice whether or not you go there. It really depends. I work at a credit recovery high school, so students come to us from the other two high schools here in our district if they're behind in credits. Students fall behind in credits for a variety of reasons. There, unfortunately, is a very negative stigma that comes with a lot of alternative education, especially because a lot of people don't understand it, so they automatically kind of assume we're the bad kid. I think everyone is very willing to say that education is not one size fits all for students. 
But then when the one size does not fit all for students, there's kind of that stigma attached to students who don't, who aren't successful in that large school environment. So my school is tiny. We serve about 120 students at a time, typically. Our main high school program has 75 to 80 students in it. Our classes cap at 15. And really what we strive to do is provide that smaller learning environment for students who are overwhelmed or unsuccessful in a large school setting. They fell through the cracks. They weren't getting the one-on-one attention they needed to be successful in their classes. A lot of anxiety, and it makes sense. The kids with anxiety aren't going to be successful in a large school setting, right? So we try to create a safer space for them where they can be successful. We also have a lot of flexibility within our programs. So the teen parents in the district come to us. A lot of kids with medical issues or students who have moved around a lot and have gaps in their education, we provide opportunities for them to make up their credits and graduate on time and meet their educational goals. The other two purposes we serve is we are the GED program for the district. So any student in our district who wants to get their GED comes to us. And then we also serve our the expelled students in our district. I think that's where some of that stigma comes from. But we kind of have a separate program for those students to start in. And if they choose to stay at our school, they can earn their way into our main high school program. It's an honor that they get to do that. Typically, students have the choice to either go back to their home school or stay with us. And for the most part, students find that they're more environment, and so they choose to stay with us. Anna, yeah. do you find that you have a higher rate of graduations once the kiddos are in the alternative education setting? You know, one of the things that we deal with is high dropout rate in our regular setting, if you will. What do you kind of see with the alternative education setting? We are definitely, you know, our main purpose is to help the district dropout rate, of course. You know, we students who would be dropouts, the other two high schools are referred to us typically around their junior or senior year if they're behind on credit. So our goal is to get those students who would otherwise be dropouts to graduate. We have one of the leading grad rates in the state, so we're really proud of that. Our district, we're very fortunate. Alternative education could go a variety of different ways. A lot of districts don't have alternative education and their graduation rate suffers, their student population suffers. Some districts do have an alternative education program or school, but the way they use it is kind of a dumping ground for students. The behavior program, get them out of the school because they're disruptive and they're bringing down the grad rate, however you want to look at it. We're very fortunate that we have a district that sees us as an act for of us. We have great teachers who want to be here. And if the district uses us to the benefit of their students, then everyone is successful. So we actually have a very high grad rate in our school district as a result of us having an alternative school. And not to discredit the other great things going on in our district, but we are a big part of that. We serve a need that is not always being served. Um, Absolutely. So since you're in Oregon, do you have a lot of districts that you know that have programs like yours? Well, yeah, these are pretty unique. Six similar programs to ours in Oregon. It's hard because alternative education is such a broad spectrum of what that can look like, but there is a pretty good handful referral-based alternative education programs designed for credit recovery. So we're definitely not alone in that. Well, I know, well, we deal with a lot. You know, we definitely deal with the stigma. There's some schools that, I remember when I was in high school, it was called like a continuation of high school or something like that. Like the names of it, where I think Mm -hmm. now the names are changing to make them less stigmatized, but people still talk, right? So, you know, 
right. Like, they're saying it's the name of it, but everyone, everyone's so calmly and adaptive of school. They see it as like a, a delinquent school or, or whatnot, which is it's not always the case. But unfortunately, we deal with many districts where they have one of those schools, and it is like 90% of the population is going to have been expelled. And, and so you see it as you've got these kids who, you know, suffer from some mental health issues or suffer from totally. issues where their IEPs were not implemented the way that they should have, or they didn't have an IEP and they should have. You know, that's not the right here's that can support them. So, but I know that there are things to exist, right? And so I think one of the reasons we really were excited to have you on is to really highlight that not only these programs do exist, and you have to kind of dig a little bit deeper to see, you know, what's actually in them. But hopefully, shining some light for districts that don't have programs in order that maybe they need to, you know, hop on the bandwagon. Right. Well, I would say education, I want to make a very kind of generalized statement education is very simple if you approach it with love so oh, I love that keep the student in our forefront you know when we think about the student what the student needs then everyone recognizes the value of alternative education when we look at education and students who aren't fitting into our mold the student is the issue that we're not thinking about the student with love, we're not loving that student, we're not giving them the best opportunity that they can have. Students are expelled, but they're not engaged with their education for one reason or another. There's some missing buy-in, there are hurt feelings, a mistrust in the educational system, they don't value the place they are, and that can be remedied pretty quickly just through relationships. When you love children, they know, and they love back. It's and I know it's, I'm talking in very broad strokes here, but sometimes we need to simplify to understand. Absolutely. And our district is, well, I'm very fortunate that we have a district that realizes that our place here is to love our students and give them the best opportunity because the previous opportunity wasn't what they needed. And so I just wish more districts would see it as that. And when you look at it in that way, then you're going to have increased grad rates and all the data and numbers that so many educators hang their hats on, that will follow. But relationships need to come first. And with relationships, it goes hand in hand with love. That comes from the top down, right? I mean, it sounds like you guys have in your district just alone a lot of collaboration and cooperation, right? And so when you right. have that, it shows the students in the school that it's not a us or them situation. It's right. not a this school that you're within this district trying to educate all of us. And yeah, you may take this math class or that math class. You might go to the school or that school to pay, um, you know, how we can best meet your needs. But I think that that idea, that concept that, you know, we're all working together, um, it's something that's lost um, after time. Even in schools or future to future, like, there needs to be that cohesive message that what is our purpose? This is our purpose. I think you hit it on the head. And something that Amanda and I often get is, you guys are so passionate, you know, you guys, why, you know, how can you be so passionate? And I think a great way to articulate, you know, what our thought process is as problem solvers, right, is that love. We're putting the child first. We're not blaming the child for the, you know, getting expelled and having, you know, to clean up right. their mess. The whole point is that we want 
educated citizens that are productive. Well, how do we do that? You know, everybody is different. We're not all the same kind, you know, we're just not another brick in the wall. Like, how do we make the wall if we're all different shapes and sizes? And and something that Amanda and I, the longer that we do this area, the law is like, we just need to throw our current education system out the door because like what you're describing it's alternative right it has this bad stigma of like that's where all the bad kids go but honestly that seems like the only right way that we should approach education <laughs> I, mean, I, 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 I don't get me wrong like our system isn't perfect what we're doing here isn't perfect we every year are trying to do better and there are people in our district who don't necessarily agree or they think they agree and their actions don't necessarily match up. But I think overall, we've been very fortunate of having a district and a community that sees the value of what we're doing. And I think that stigma every year is getting smaller and smaller. And I see that, you know, meeting with new parents as their students are referred to my school and they're excited that their kid is finally off the wait list and finally able to come here. And they're grateful for this opportunity for their kid rather than seeing it as a punishment for their kid not doing well in high school. Yeah, well, something I see a lot in criticisms of not just special education, but in this idea that we have so many different learners amongst us, and they're always and there's this push for getting our education system to consider all these learners. A lot of people are very quick to say, well, that's just too much. That's too much work for us that, you know, what's going to happen next? You know, how do you go down, you know, this rolling ball is going out of hand. We're now considering all of these things. Like, you start having no more students in the school because of peanut allergy. Then someone's going to have gluten allergy, and we're going to do it, right? People start saying, like, well, what's going to be next? think that, like, we can do both basically. But I think, like, the biggest thing is, like, we don't have to oversimplify it. Like, we don't have to make it too complicated. Like, the concept of making sure that we're meeting everyone's needs is very similar to the concept of we want to be there for everybody, right? So that, that idea that we don't have to complicate things. If we care about these kids, and, and the first thing in our mind is we want every kid to get a good quality education, like what stems from that next might be different, but like where so many problems exist is because we don't start from there. We start from this kid got expelled. This kid has a diagnosis of This kid came from a foster home, right? We're starting from there rather than starting from, he's a kid, she's just a student. Then, you know, maybe we do something extra, but I think it's like, and then that's where the stigma is coming, and that's where these misconceptions and the problems with, you know, people not trusting each other, and like, but I think that's exactly right. Like, we just need to see it as this is a, a bigger, a bigger, of looking at the child first, looking at every child, and then where to go from there. And I think that's, it sounds like your school very much has kind of that culture of like, everybody is a student, like you're not all in one category. Here's the unfortunate thing about alternative education in general. A student first has to experience being unsuccessful in their learning and their school. Mm-hmm in order for them to come to us. They have to fail repeatedly for one, two, opportunity to come and have a second chance at learning. And what a shame that is that that has to be their experience, that in order for them to be successful, they have to like really suffer along the way. I just wish there were better answers and so that we weren't 
we weren't credit recovery. We weren't trying to fix the problem, but we can be more proactive and try to eliminate some of those problems beforehand. And I believe that big schools try to do that to the best that they can. But some of that's just impossible. When you have 40, 30, 40 students in your class and you're teaching five, six classes a day, you're looking at over 200 students coming through your door every single day. You're not going to have the relationships. You're not going to see every kid. You're not going to know every kid. And it's expensive to have relationships with kids and small classrooms and know everybody. At my school, one teaches 15 kids at a time. That's much more expensive than this teacher at the other school teaching 30 to 40 kids. So it always comes back to that money issue and money isn't love. And I know there's that practical piece of it. Like we can only do what we can with what we have. But the districts that say, no, these dollars are well spent because they're saving these kids. It's getting them that future and education that they deserve. That's love talking, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, Anna, do you see a lot of kiddos on IEPs or 504s? Yeah, I would say we are typically between 15 and 20% on IEPs and around 10% on 504s. Most of our 504s are your social-emotional 504s, a lot of diagnosed mental health, a lot of bipolar, anxiety, depression. And then with our IEPs, we don't offer the resources that a larger school can, so we can't serve a lot of IEPs. So ours are oftentimes the students who don't require very many services, who as a result fell through the cracks because they weren't super high needs, but they were just unsuccessful enough that some, maybe some behaviors got in the way, they became disengaged with their learning because they just felt stupid or overlooked or like school wasn't their thing. We end up with a lot of those students who have given up on themselves and their learning and kind of just written themselves off as being stupid. And, you know, there have been some situations, I know, Amanda, you've dealt with it as well, where, you know, for us, we get involved and the child's already in that alternative setting and and we're trying to tap into the resources that a typical high school setting, because it typically happens, right, in high school. We've seen it with some of our younger kiddos, but it is unfortunate because that's still, I mean, that's still a pretty high percentage of having kiddos on IEPs. And even though the class is, is smaller, there's, you know, needs and they're really far behind that, right. you know, you would need that support in that you may not necessarily be getting but are you involved in those meetings just as like another advocate or form of somebody else just kind of looking at the child and like trying to determine what those needs are and whether or not you guys can take them and change some things sure i am i'm the case manager for all the 504s that come through our door so i handle all those directly and then with the iaps we do have an iap case manager and before a student can be referred to our school it does need to go through her and she makes sure that it's served here. Sometimes that does determine rewriting the IEP a little bit. You know, we don't have a resource room here, for example. So what does that look like then in our school? Is there a place that they can go? Is there someone who can help them? Is there a person who can work with them? We do have a pretty structured process to make sure that if a student's coming to us with an IEP, is one that we know that we can best serve. And if we don't think we can serve that kid and the other schools can actually serve them better, we won't accept them. Yeah, one thing we deal with transitioning a kid into another school where they haven't been successful in the first school, you know, usually into an alternative type setting, is that part of the reason why they're transitioning is because their IEP wasn't working or there wasn't an IEP or the 504 wasn't enough, it needed an IEP. And so sometimes we see situations where a kid goes to another setting and like 
it almost is like the new schools, like this is a different person that was on this piece of paper. Do you ever find that? Like you see a kid and you're like, the reason it, he wasn't doing well is because the IEP wasn't written to do well. And like maybe you're considering that and like just because it's in the IEP doesn't mean that's what they need. Do you have to like make changes to be like, actually, like we may not have ours, but we have another thing and it might actually be better suited. Right. You know, 100%. We see that all the time. You know, one of very common examples, anxiety paired with whatever diagnosis or learning needs they have. Or what service do you have in place with that kid if they get anxiety triggered by large crowds of students and the school's large? There's nothing you can do to avoid that in a large school. You can't make the hallways quieter. You can't eliminate the number of kids. So just by coming to a smaller environment and having fewer teachers they're interacting with, fewer students, fewer noises and stimulants, automatically more successful. So even if we don't offer a lot of the IEP or 504 needs that they were written into their plan before, we actually find that we're still often able to serve kids much more effectively or just because of the smaller environment. Do you ever have any of your kids that come on 504 plans and maybe more than one of 504 plan can offer once they're in your setting and they might need an IEP? Not very frequently. I actually will joke with parents that they walk in 504 here in our school. That gets raised to a 504 reach to automatically the preferential seating, alternative testing, all kind of stuff. So more often than not, when a student comes to us, we're actually reducing what's written into their plan for them rather than increasing it at any level. Is some of that because of just the function that you inherently already do for everyone? Right. Absolutely. I feel like I had a train of thought and I'm now going <laughs> deep from that. Okay, so we talked about the graduation track, getting the diploma, but I know that a lot of times alternative schools, and I think you mentioned, are looking towards like other skills. And so, like usually when we think of other skills, like we're thinking, you know, the academic track of the diploma, of you know, the academic classes that gets them towards the diploma, and maybe college. And there's the other side of secondary education, looking at those vocational trade type things. Is there a portion of your school that's geared towards? maybe helping a student develop skills that would allow them to enter like a trade school or some kind of alternative like job placement rather than a traditional college experience? I wish we did more of that actually. We, um, when our building was designed, that wasn't really the forefront of what they envisioned our purpose being. So we don't have a lot of facilities that provide you know, last year we did a big construction project where the kids were pouring concrete out back and they did all kinds of work on our facilities and learned all the concrete trade skills, computer programming type stuff, a lot of you know, 3D printing, that kind of realm. So we do, we try to make the most of what we can with our facilities. And then of course we try to set them up with other opportunities, whether it be job shadows, exploring careers, taking them out to the trades programs, the mechatronics, manufacturing, that kind of stuff. There's a large heavy metal industry here in our town, so we try to expose our kids to the opportunities in that field as much as possible. But for the most part, we are designed to get kids caught up towards the standard high school diploma. We do serve some modified diplomas as well. But for the most part, that's our main goal. And then, of course, with our GED program, getting the students their GED. But we don't neglect our GED students either with that trades piece. We try to expose them and set them up for their post-GED plans as best that we can and as much as they are wanting from us. Well, we appreciate your time, Anna. It's 
always fun talking to somebody in a different state because it's just so different, the approach. But it kind of gives us food for thought and hopefully it kind of sheds some light on how some of the alternative school settings here in California could be better. But we really appreciate your time. And is there anything that you would like to kind of end on? Sometimes we like asking for like a positive story with like a student, if that's something that you can kind of take a minute if you need. success story or aha moment kind of thing. Yeah, thank you. Well, first, thank you so much for having me. It's been an honor and pleasure. I had a student come visit me yesterday. She graduated last year. She was a fifth year senior, so she wasn't sure she was going to graduate. She had only come to our country from Mexico as a teenager herself, so education was always hard for her. And She came in yesterday. She was a teen mom. She had her baby, and she had signed herself up for community college and is on her way to the next step. And she just came in as Oh, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for school, if it weren't for the people who advocated for me, gave me the opportunities and the flexibilities I needed as a teen parent. So that kind of reaffirms what we're doing, that kids don't all fit into one setting and we need to do what we can to make sure that they get what they need because they have all the same potential. They just need maybe some different opportunities or they need education to look a little differently for them. Awesome. Thank you so much, Anna. I know the did the bell already ring? I'm kind of getting. Bell just rang. Yes. Yeah, it's, I'm in school right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I'm getting a little bit of delay. But again, we really appreciate your time, and we hope that you listeners enjoyed. We will talk to you guys next week. Bye. Bye.